Okay, hey, let's jump into it together. We're going to be um, in. We're going to be in Acts this morning. If you have your Bibles, first though, um, I want to read this from First Corinthians fourteen. By the way, we are a church that believes in the continuation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, some of you are maybe from different backgrounds. It's okay. Uh, we believe that the gifts did not cease; that they are still in use today. That the Spirit still gives gifts to the church for the building up of the church. And we've been seeing some of those. You know, one of those we practiced just a few minutes ago, um, giving these words of knowledge. That's called the gift of prophecy. Whenever we hear what God is saying and we speak those out to people and, God, and people respond. Um, so uh, let, me, let me kind of address that because it leads into what we're talking about. We're talking about encouragement today. This is one of our, this is sort of the first of our family values is this idea of encouragement. And this is, I want to tie it into prophecy because this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. It's talking about the gifts. And it says, but the one who prophesies, y'all, y'all listening? All right. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their, and there are three things here. Y'all say strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. So the one who prophesies, the one who has this prophetic gift, it's one of the gifts of the Spirit, does so for strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. And those are all really good things, aren't they? They're not negative. You notice it doesn't say the one who prophesies does so for judgment and conviction and manipulation and control. And often prophetic gifts have been abused in that way. You know, somebody kind of can use this prophetic gift in such a strong, heavy-handed way, like God said this. You need to do this because God is going to bring judgment on you if you don't. Anybody ever been the recipient of that kind of prophetic word? Right? Did it strengthen you? Did it encourage you? Did it comfort you? Right? Now, that doesn't mean that every prophetic word is going to be sugar-coated. It doesn't mean that it's all going to be, you know, candy and ice cream and all good things from the Santa Claus God. Sometimes prophetic words truly can be difficult to swallow. They can sting a little bit. But for prophecy, true prophecy from the Spirit of God is meant to strengthen or to edify, to build you up, to encourage you, and that's that's what we're talking about today, and to comfort you. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So, back to encouragement. This is one of the first of our family values. This is something that we value deeply as a congregation, as a faith family. But it's not just normal, run-of-the-mill encouragement. We value prophetic encouragement. You guys are blinking me like, "Eh, what does that mean? Encouragement that is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, that strengthens, that edifies, that lifts us up. That's what we value. And let me say this. And, and by the way, there's a lot of talk about prophetic gifts. There's a lot of talk about this, you know, especially in some of the charismatic circles. Um, there are conferences that you can go to that focus on developing your prophetic gifts. There are lots of books. I've got some. Chuck's got like a library full of them. He's read them all. <laughs> you know, there's speakers. There's training events that will talk to you about this. There's all kinds of things, but I want to say this. I want to tell you, sometimes the most prophetic thing that you can do 
is to encourage someone. Words of knowledge are good. Hearing specific things about, you know, God says, okay, you know, left lobe of your lung, that's, that's really good. But sometimes the most, pro, the most prophetically significant thing you can do is to speak words of encouragement to someone. Because keep them, like we just read, what is the goal of prophecy? To build someone up. And true spirit-led encouragement builds people up. So let's look at somebody in Scripture that kind of is a good example of this. We're in Acts chapter 4. There's this guy in here. His name is Barnabas. He's a cool guy, by the way. I like these underdogs. I mean, I like the big dudes too, you know, Paul and Peter and all. But I especially love the ones that are sort of a little bit under the radar. You know, these are, these are the ones that at the conferences, they would not be the headliners. They would be the ones that would kind of be in like the very bottom. Oh, by the way, we got, you know, Mike Bickle and Heidi Baker and Bill Johnson. Those are the big guys and at the bottom is like, and there's, uh, you know, somebody else. A little small. He's got like the conference room in the far back of the place. But I love seeing those kind of guys. Now, Barnabas, he's a big deal. He really is. This is what it says about him. I got to get to my Bible, though. What did I say this was? Acts chapter 4. This is where we meet him. It says this about him at the, at the end of 4 in 36. So they're talking about this, uh, about all the believers. They're giving of themselves. They're sharing. They're, they're, they're coming in, uh, piling their resources together. And as anybody needs, they're giving to it. Um, and it says this, verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That's where we first meet him. So his real name is Joseph. He's a Levite, which means he's of the tribe of Levi. He is of the priestly class, but he's not living in Jerusalem. He's not living in Judea. He's actually living on the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea. He's part of this group of sort of these Hellenized you know, influenced Jews that somehow years ago had left their homeland and were living in a different country, but they're still very much Jewish, still very much part of, of, of God's people. Joseph is one of those, but the, 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 the disciples had a different name for him. They called him Barnabas, and that comes from Bar, which means son of, and Nabi, which means, literally means prophecy or prophet. He is a son of prophecy. But they also translate that encouragement. And they went around calling him that. Hey, Barnabas, what's up? What's up, son of encouragement? And it's kind of become a proper name, but that was the name that they gave him because, you know, often you would sort of give these names to people that would reflect their character. And Barnabas was one of those, and he made, apparently made such an impact on the church that they went around and they gave him this new, you know, Joseph, ah, it's kind of a boring name. We got a better name for you. How about son of encouragement? And he begins, and he plays a major role in the expansion of this new young movement called the Church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see all through, we're not going to see it today, but if you read through all through Acts, you know, all the way up until chapter 15, Barnabas is a major player. But I, wanted to, I want you to pay attention to what his first act of encouragement is. It's giving. Sacrificial giving, I might add. It says that he sold a field that he had. By the way, if you know anything about the Levites, they were forbidden, according to Mosaic law, from owning property. Their inheritance was the Lord. You know what I'm saying? So very likely, he didn't really own any property. This donated, the only thing that they could own, by the way, the only thing that the Levites could own is their burial plot. Think about that. 
The only land he has, the only inheritance he has is the place where they're going to bury his bones into the ground. And he says, I don't even need that. I want to sell this. I want to give it to this movement because I believe in what the Spirit of God is doing. And that's encouraging right off the bat. I can see why they call him son of encouragement because right away he's giving everything. He's laying it all down on the line. And you encouragers, and I want to tie each of these into you and I because you are an encouraging church. You are sons and daughters of encouragement to me. Every one of you are. Every one of you carry this same prophetic encouragement. You do it with your words. You do it with your actions. And you encouragers, you're the first to give. You're the first to step up. You're the first to sacrifice. And our church is stronger because of that, just like Barnabas does. Here's another role, though, that you're going to play. Let's go to Acts 9. Fast forward some. So he's now part of their thing. Um, In Acts 9, the beginning, we meet this guy named Saul. Saul is a Pharisee. Saul is, is a legitimate, he's a bona fide religious heavyweight. He is the Jew of all Jews. He is as committed to the law as you and anybody would meet. And he hates, hates this movement of heretics called followers of Jesus. And he's doing everything he can in his power and his authority to squash this heretical apostate movement. And he does a pretty good job at it. He goes around. He's arresting men and women. He's throwing them in jail. He's breaking up Bible study, or breaking up studies. He's breaking up prayer grooms. He's, he's doing everything he can to squash this affront to the majesty of the Jewish God. But you know what happens if you've read Acts 9. God gets a hold of him. Saul is on his way on this road going to Damascus. Saul like has his name. He's got his checklist of all the people he's going to go hunt down and arrest for being heretics. And God all of a sudden just blows up and just invades and crashes in and collides with everything that Paul thinks and knows to be true. And he meets Jesus face to face and he encounters Jesus. And it just, it just changes everything about who Saul is and what he believes. Didn't have an intellectual argument with one of the followers of Jesus. He met Jesus. And Saul goes on, and the Lord gives some instructions to Saul. He's like, Saul, you need to go. You're going to find this guy named Ananias, and he's going he's to you know, pray over you. Because Saul, of course, was blinded by this. He was blinded by this experience. Couldn't, he opened his eyes. He couldn't see anything for three days. He's not eating. For three days, he's not seeing anything. He's so, he's so awestruck by the presence of God that it just renders him silent. And God says, go to, this, go to the house of this guy named Ananias. He's going to pray over you, and your, your vision is going to be restored. God gives the same word to Ananias and says, Ananias, I need you to go out and find this guy named Saul from Tarsus. You're going to pray over him. And Ananias says, oh, no, 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 no. I've heard about this guy, Saul. He's bad news. Everybody's heard about this guy, Saul. He is like the worst enemy of, of, of the people following Jesus. He is like the enemy of the way. It's where they call themselves the way. He's the enemy of the way. There's no way I'm going to go there. He's going to have me arrested before three words come out of my mouth. 
God says, no, go. I have appointed Saul for a special mission to the Gentiles. So he does. Ananias obeys, goes, finds Saul, prays over him. His eyes restored. It says in 18, it says that he could see he got up and was baptized. Ate some food and began to regain his strength. Saul is radically, radically changed. And that passion that once was directed against the things of the Spirit of God now are directed for the things of the Spirit of God. And to use our language, Paul is unbridled. And he is just on fire left and right. And everybody is astonished at what has happened, going, this cannot be the same guy. This has to be a trap. This has to be some kind of like, you know, we're, this is like a Trojan horse. We're letting, we cannot let Saul into our, we can't let him into our Bible study. We can't let him into our prayer. He might be saying the right stuff, but I, guys, I'm going to tell you, we got to be careful. This is not a good thing. And the church agrees we are not letting Saul in. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You know what encouragers do? Encouragers see the best in the worst of us. We, the rest, you know, kind of the, the, the collective church at large, we tend to see the worst in people. We tend to see what they've done that's a failure in the past. We tend to see kind of, you know, all the, the ways that they've dropped the ball, you know. But you know what, encour- encouragers, though, they have a way of, of sort of tuning those things out and saying, yeah, that's all true, but look inside. And Barnabas looks and Barnabas knows there is something about Saul And we need to pay attention to that. So he goes, and Barnabas stands up. And Barnabas goes to his defense and says, guys, no, 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 guys, let me tell you. Let me tell you what happened. He met Jesus, and everything changed. And he convinces them to let him in. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So they, now they're accepting him. Now they're protecting him. They're getting him out of the way because so, there's a threat against his life. Verse 31, then, so then's a transitional word, isn't it? Then means it's somehow connected to what we just read. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. This is all following sort of this... Uh, you know, this, this, this mass persecution, Stephen has been executed, and they're all going on their way, and they're scattering, and there's a threat against the church. But somehow, because of what has just happened, now peace is here. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Why was it strengthened? Why was it encouraged? Because there was a son of encouragement who was willing to step up and say, you know what, you guys see the worst in him, I see the best in him. I see what he's done. That's what encouragers do. They look beyond what you and I see and they see into the heart. 
God is that way. Did you know that? That God looks beyond the obvious? Way back when, a little boy named David. Everybody else thought David should be relegated to the pasture. You know who they thought should be king? Saul. Saul, who was head and shoulders above the rest. Big Saul, strong, influential Saul. Saul is our king. David, though, was not much at all. But God had his eye on David. He goes to the prophet Samuel. He says this, he says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, him being King Saul, not Saul that we just read about, old Saul. Do not consider these things, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Y'all need to know that. The things that we in our culture determine this is what makes for a good person or a good leader or a good disciple or a good something else. You know, we've got our measure of these things. And in the church, we're especially bad at this. You know, you got to have degrees. You got to have, you know, you got to write some books. You need to be kind of headline a, a conference or two. You got to have a pot. You got you to be an influencer. How, you got to be good looking like me, right? I know. You got to have a trophy wife like I do who stands there and smiles and, you know, get their teeth whitened all the time, you know? You got to have like 20,000 followers on Instagram. God says, I don't look at those stupid things. You know what I look at? I look at the heart. Does this person have a heart who is for me and nothing else? That's what I want. And sons and daughters of encouragement, boy, they can zero in and say, look at the heart of this person. Yeah, I know. Listen, I know they've got rough edges. Yeah, I know they've made mistakes in the past. Yeah, I know they've dropped the ball. But look at their heart. True encouragers, they see beyond failure to restoration. You pass the failure. Come on, let's, look, let's talk about restoration. And then they go past restoration to future fruitfulness. They can see the outcome. Why? Because they are prophetic encouragers, fueled by the Spirit of God. So that's a role that you guys play. You encouragers, you see the best in the worst of us. Finally this, Acts 11. Let's fast forward a little bit more. Here's the third thing encouragers do. They lead with both humility and boldness. Humility and boldness. Okay, um, so, Acts, Acts 9, 10, 11, the Spirit of God has been moving, has been expanding left and right. The Holy Spirit has been moving on people, not just on the Jews, now he's been moving on the Gentiles as well. And this is a big, this is a big paradigm shift for the church. This is a major paradigm shift for the church. And it's going to require the leadership to be teachable. Teachable doesn't mean that I have the ability to learn things intellectually. Teachable means that you are open to change and you're willing to be wrong. Boy, that's tough. It's tough in leadership to be open to change and to be willing to be wrong. But this is what sons and daughters of encouragement are. This is why they're so necessary for us. 
So Acts 11 is a, what we call it, what I call a crustacean. You know what a crustacean is? Crustacean is like a crab, right? And it's a crab, you know, crabs, they live in shell. You ever seen like the hermit crabs? They used to sell them up at the mall. You know what I'm talking about? And they have like the little shells that were painted with like blue with like UK on it or something else, whatever else. And you can like buy, I didn't know this, but like you can buy extra shells. You know, I used to think that the crab was like glued to the inside of their shell. How many of you thought that? Only me. Only I'm stupid. I'll admit it. Right? But no, the, the crab just lives in this shell. And here's the cool thing. As the crab grows, the shell doesn't grow. You're like, obviously it doesn't grow. It's not a living thing. They have to find a bigger shell. You can buy bigger shells because your crab is growing. He's going to outgrow this. And what we call a crustacean moment is that point where the crab has to leave the security of a small shell, scurry across, all exposed, to find that bigger shell. And in that moment, he is completely sort of, you know, vulnerable to everything outside of him. And his old shell is comfortable. He doesn't know if there'll be a nice big shell, and I'm not sure what it's like, and is there going to be something else in there? But it's a moment where you have to change your paradigm. You have to be open and willing to change and say, God, you're calling me to something bigger. I don't even know what it is. I'm not comfortable with it, but I've got to because you're on the move, and I can't stay where I am. And the church in Acts is exactly this way. At each, and there's so many of these. There's so many from the very beginning times where they've got to move from one thing that's very familiar to something even new. God is expanding their paradigm. He's blowing their minds. And he's doing things that they never could have imagined. What do you mean the Holy Spirit can come to people that are not Jewish? And this is what's happening here. And they're seeing it. They're seeing Gentiles now converting to the Jewish faith. And they're seeing the Holy Spirit begin to fall on Gentiles, just like he's fallen on you and I. What do we do with this? And it's a challenge for the church, the leaders of the church who are in, based in Jerusalem, Peter and James and these others, because they get word from a place called Antioch about all this stuff happening. And they have to think to themselves, is this a thing of God or is this a distraction? Y'all, we're going to have to ask that question a whole lot in the seasons to come. As God brings revival, we will have some things that we have to scratch our heads and say, is this a thing of God or is this a distraction? And there will be both. Everything that comes and happens here will not be from God. Many beautiful things will. And I'm excited about it. Let me read in Acts 11:22. <clears throat> when the church in Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this proof of God's favor, it says he was filled with joy. Now, Bar Barnabas, by the way, I told you he's a Jew, but he's also a Levite. If anybody should be fixed and dogmatic about who God is and what he wants, it would be Barnabas. He arrived and saw this proof of God's favor. He was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to God's word. Barnabas, it says this, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong of faith. Barnabas is going to have to step over generations of prejudice, generations of this twisted racial thinking that says the Jews are God's 
not just special people, but everybody else is like dog food. In fact, it was a common thinking in, in, in this day, if you were a devout Jew, that the Gentiles really were really not good for much else apart from fueling the fires of hell. If you're a good Jew, you would wake up and you would pray. You would pray, if you're a male, God, thank you that you have not made me a dog or a woman or a Gentile. Imagine that being ingrained into your thinking day after day. And Barnabas has to step over this. He's got to lay all of that aside and say, God, am I teachable? Am I open to this new thing? It doesn't make sense. It goes against everything that I have been taught to believe. It offends the mind. But Holy Spirit, are you in this? And it says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And everything could have hinged on his report. They they designated him to go and make this decision. How would you like for the fate of the church for the Gentiles to depend on you? Could have gone the other way. It could have set back the church for generations had he come back and said, no, this is a distraction. This is not a thing of God. God's plan still would have been carried out. Maybe without, but probably not in the way and the expediency that we would want. But Barnabas, because he is listening to the Holy Spirit, he says, no, this is a good thing. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and large numbers of people were brought to the Lord. Sons and daughters of encouragement, they lead with both humility. It takes humility to go and admit, look, this is, uh, this is different. I'm not sure about this. But also boldness. Boldness to come back and say, guys, I know this is not the status quo. I know this is not the way that we've done things. I know that some of you are going to disagree with this, but here is what I sense the Spirit of God saying. Let's embrace this move of God. Sons and daughters of encouragement, you help us when you lead that way. You help us when you lead with humility, when you're open, when you're teachable. You help us when you're bold, though, in your conviction about what the Spirit of God is doing. And there's, more, there's, there's a lot more to his story. You know what's beautiful is that he's, he's still imperfect. He still makes some mistakes. That's, I like that. No, he's not a super Christian. He is just like you and I. So let me give you just a couple family words for our church family. We need sons and daughters of encouragement. We are, we are in a pretty crucial phase as we're growing. And God is doing new things. Um, he's expanding our family. He is opening up more doors of, of opportunities, bringing this building to us. You know, there's more families coming in. We've had new, new, new guests every single week for about the last three months. We need sons and daughters of encouragement. I need you to encourage one another. Let me talk about encouragement is not just, it's not just the superficial thing. Oh, you're doing so good. Oh, you look so great today. I tease my wife about that, you know, because... Like she'll meet some stranger in whatever, in the grocery store outside, and she'll, the first, one of the first things she says is she'll have some compliment on how they look. 
and I kind of tease her a little bit about that, but if you know my wife, you know that that's nothing more than an open door to go deeper with somebody. It's a real quick way to like let the walls come down, to get into their heart, to connect on this personal level, because my wife will go very deep. She won't stay there. It's a beautiful thing. She's a natural encourager, and so are you, and we need this. We need, we need to walk in this 1 Corinthians kind of way of being prophetic encouragers, lifting one another up. That doesn't all, and that doesn't mean just, just um, shallow words. That's not what that means at all. But it means building one another up. It means when you'd rather say something negative to somebody, it means you're probably going to maybe find something positive to say. When it means you'd rather gossip about somebody that's you know, not doing things the right way, maybe instead, instead of gossiping about them behind their back, maybe say something to build them up. You know, think about these, you've got, you got two buckets. You've got buckets of gas and you've got a bucket of water. And if, sometimes when something happens and somebody makes a comment about, you know, a situation, if that thing is negative, if that comment that you hear is negative, you've got two options. You can throw a bucket of gas on that comment and guess what it's going to do? It's going to inflame it. Oh, did you see what such and such was doing today? And da-da-da-da-da. That's a little spark of negativity. So you can throw a bucket of gas. No, bucket of gas. You can throw a bucket of gas on there. No, tell me about it. And then you can go and find somebody else and talk all about it. Or you can throw a bucket of water on it. You know what a bucket of water does? It just quenches that. And you, you can do this in gentle ways. You can say, you know what? I know. You know, it's everybody's trying really hard around here, and such and such person's really trying. How about we? How about we just pray for them? Can we do that right now? All of a sudden, you've quenched that little possible flame of gossip and bitterness. That's what sons and daughters of encouragement do. We need that in our church. I need you to be that, and you are that. So don't hear this as like you're not. Continue to do this. Keep doing it. It's beautiful. And the second word is this, um, the urgency of the hour. That's a word that I've been dwelling on for a few years. The urgency of the hour demands prophetic encouragers. And here's why I say this, because there's two places in Hebrews that talk about this, and I want to end with this. Because we, we are a church that believes that there is, a, there is an end to days. Anybody believe that? That there is an end of days that is coming. We believe that. And things don't stay the same. In one sense, the kingdom of God is advancing, which means things are getting better. Right? We've done more missions this year, more, more mass evangelism in the last 100 years than in all of church history combined. We've seen more supernatural miracles you know, in the last probably 20 years than we have in centuries and centuries and centuries before. The kingdom of God is expanding, so we're seeing things get better. But as the light pushes back the darkness, things are also getting worse. There's been more Christian persecution in the last 100 years, more martyrdoms in the last 100 years than in all of church history combined. There is an end of days. There is a, there is a, there's a movement towards finality. And God's people need to be aware and we need to be ready for that. And we need to be in a ready position that says, God, we're aware that the urgency of the hour demands that we be prophetic encouragers. Here's what it says in Hebrews 3.12. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, it's not up here, maybe it's okay. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's awful. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. 
He's saying, church, see to it that you don't have this kind of heart that's going to be hardened and cold and turn away from God. But, verse 13, but encourage one another daily. Do you see the connection there? You know what encouragement does? Encouragement is the antidote to this apostasy. Encouragement is what helps us not have cold and unbelieving hearts. Your encouragement can be directly responsible for somebody maintaining salvation in the Lord. That's a big deal. You play a role in somebody else's spiritual life. But encourage one another daily as long as, as, long as it is called today. Is it today? Is it today today? It is, so encourage one another. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's an urgency to the hour that demands that you and I, we take one another and we are shield bearers for one another. And that shield is encouragement, prophetic encouragement. Hebrews 10, this is, this is the last one. Brian, come on up. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Push one another on. Encourage one another on. Not giving up meeting together. You're here. We're living this out. You're not giving up. You're coming, you're gathering together, you're not quitting. You're not saying, man, I can be a believer and just stay at home. I can just watch my CBN or listen to my podcast, that's all I need. No, Paul said, the writer of this is, no, don't give it up, don't quit. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Prophetic encouragement. Build one another up. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Y'all, I see the day approaching. I do, I see it. I believe that we're in the generation of the final harvest. I don't know that. I'm not like a great steer who can look into the future, but I, I just see the signs. My generation, my children's generation, I believe that will be the generation of the final harvest. It will be harder and harder to be a follower of Jesus in our culture. But God's spirit and his grace and his supernatural power will be poured out in greater measure for you. So encourage one another. Build one another up. You're doing it. I see it. Do it in words. Do it in deeds. Do it in actions. Do it in prayer. Do it in intercession. Would you stand up? Let me just close. I want to pray over you. I know we've, we've had some ministry time earlier. We're a little bit after, so I, I, want, to, I want to pray a, pray a prayer over you and um, if, if we can pray together at the front, we've got some that'll be here to, to pray with you. But if I want to sort of do a soft release after my prayer, those of you that do need to go, you'll be released to do that. Um, but we'll pray over you as well. So Father, we just, we position ourselves, Lord. We recognize that we're not made for this journey alone. We're made to be in community. We're made to be in a family. We're made to encourage one another. So Lord, make us even more to be sons of encouragement, to be daughters of encouragement. By your spirit, Lord, give us these things. Give us prophetic power to build one another up, to build your church up. Lord, help us to see the best in people. 
the best and the worst of us. Help others, Lord. Help this church to see the best in me and not my worst. Help us, Lord, to lead with humility and boldness. Teachable, soft before you. Following your spirit, Lord God. We receive your love today. Father, we receive your love. We receive your anointing. In Jesus' name. Do you guys have anything?